I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Squirm. I'm the host Rick. Each episode I'll be introducing your funny and embarrassing stories. Sometimes, and only sometimes, you might get the pleasure of me telling some of my own. Right, let's get started. So now, I gotta, I'm gonna go watch some TV. And I, uh, I go to, they have these, and it's weird in the psych ward, they got all these little rooms, these little cubbies, and they got a, back then, even though the hospitals had banned smoking indoors, um, they still let you smoke indoors on the psych ward. They weren't going to take away the cigarettes from the crazies. So they still let you do that. So I got my, my Mountain Dew and I got my, my Milky Way bar and I go to my room and get a cigarette. But I did not have a lighter because you got to go to the nurse's desk. And I go up to the nurse's desk and I ask her for a light and she gives me a light and I say thank you. And I wander into the smoking lounge. And in the smoking lounge... Um, there's two young men sitting there and, and I should mention that the, the same nurse is the one that asked me about my schedule. And I told her, I, you know, she asked me if I'd filled it out and I told her, no, I had not filled it out and I was not planning on filling it out because I was not planning on being there the next day. So she said, please fill that out and get it back to me. I said, thank you. I will. But you know, I was not going to do that. So anyway, I go in there and, uh, I see two men sitting there and they're talking to me or they're not talking to me. I don't want to talk to them as you know, they're just sitting there. They're talking to each other, but I don't want to get involved in that conversation. And I'm just watching TV and I'm smoking my cigarette and drinking my Mountain Dew. But one of the fellas had the whites of his eyes was completely red. There was completely red, like he'd been beaten and beaten and beaten, except there was no other bruising on his face. So it didn't make any sense. And curiosity finally got the best of me. And I said, you know, what What the hell happened to your eyes? And he said, well, I tried to kill myself. I said, well, what, how'd you do that? And he said, well, I, I took an overdose of drugs. I said, well, that, that seems kind of dumb. Why'd you do that? And he said, because my girlfriend broke up with me. And I said, well, your girlfriend broke up with you? I said, is this the only girlfriend you ever had? Because the young man was maybe only about 21 years old. And he said, no. I said, well, was she the best girlfriend you ever had? He said, no. I said, well, what the hell do you? And, and then I went to try to explain to him that, you know, maybe it, it, this was went deeper than a girlfriend. You know, maybe there was some kind of pathological thing here, because when you go to an extreme thing to kill yourself, what you're doing is you're trying to you're trying to find a rational reason for an irrational act. And I'm explaining all this to him. And I said, you know, at the heart of this lies your depression and there's something, you know, else bothering you. But you got to get to that, you know, because this ain't about your girlfriend. You know, it ain't about your girlfriend. Every every idiot can find a reason to hang his hat on if he wants to kill himself. So, you know, 
work with your doctor, whatever, you know. And I said, but do you see what I'm saying? And he looked at me and he had a very, very blank look on his face because he didn't understand the damn word I was saying. He wasn't, you know, didn't look like the type that was going to be coming up with the cure for cancer anytime soon. So rather than answer me, he just pointed to his little buddy and said, well, if you think I'm crazy, he tried to stab himself to death. I was like, what? He tried he tried to stab himself. And the guy, his his partner, he said, yeah, I tried to stab myself to death. And I said, well, what? That, that's crazy. I said, where did you stab yourself? And he looked at me and he said, in my bedroom. I said, I did not mean where in your house did you stab yourself? Where did you stab yourself on your body? And he said, well, I stabbed myself in the stomach three times. And he lifted his shirt up and showed me by that time, I guess he'd spent a good amount of time in a regular hospital and healed up and not healed up because he still had some stitches and, you know, but there they were three stab wounds. And I, uh, I said, damn, how did, how did that not kill you? He said, well, I just stabbed myself with a pocket knife. He, he stabbed himself three times in the stomach with a three inch knife. So, so, so I said, you know, did, did you, what happened to you you know did you pass out or what did you do and he said no it hurt it hurt real bad so I, I I called my mom and she took me to the hospital and then they fixed me and made me stay in the hospital for a couple of days and then they made me come here and I said well you know that's I didn't want to know any more about any of their lives and you know just thought well this is best you know this is just best in the conversation I said you guys have fun I'm going to watch some TV. So I finished smoking my cigarettes, finished. Actually, I smoked one cigarette and I wanted another one. So I wandered back to my room, got another cigarette, walked back to the nurse's station, asked her for a light. She was still hung up on my uh, my schedule for the next day. So I looked at it and it aside from my menus, it had the two activities for the next day. And the two activities were art therapy and group therapy. And I told her I would be opting out of both. I told her I did not, was not really interested in that. And she told me how helpful art therapy was. And, you know, and, and apparently it's been proven to be pretty helpful, but I did not really need another wallet, nor did I need an ashtray. And I wasn't planning on being there the next day. And I'm sure she heard that from every patient that's ever been in there that I'm not going to be here tomorrow, you know, just like every person in prison is innocent nobody in the psych ward is crazy so anyway I told her no I'm I won't be I'll be opting out of the art therapy if you don't mind and she said she then said to me if you skip art therapy will you go to group and I said well what what is group explain group and I figured it meant some kind of group therapy but I didn't know what they do I thought it was like a regimented thing and she said well it's really just an open floor. You're, the floor residents, they talk about whatever they want and uh, talk about their problems or what's on their mind. And she said, you know, whatever's troubling you, you might you might be able to get some insight, you know, if you talk to them. And they might be going through the same thing as you and whatever. And, and, I, and I looked at her like, you know, it's it's like being in a different like you're, you're speaking a different language. And I said, look, look, lady, I. I Maybe I know I know that my perspective is not what it should be. Okay, I said, but do you see the difference between me and these people in here? 
I said, I'm lifting my feet when I walk. I ain't shuffling. I ain't got that thousand yard stare. I mean, these people are serious, hard ass crazy in here. I mean, do I really seem that crazy? And she said, well, you know, some people are in better places than others, you know, and some people are. And I said, look, look, first of all, I don't even know what my problems are. Okay, I don't know what the problems are. But if you think that I'm going to get up and talk about my problems with this group of lunatic and then take their damn advice, you're the one that needs to be in this place because you're crazy as hell. I mean, these people ain't going to these people ain't nothing but a whole big bag of problems. They ain't solving nobody's problems. So, you know, I told her, no, I'm just going on, you know, going about my business. So she tells me that, you know, she's going to need that form from me. And I tell her, no, I'm not going to fill out the form. But so it's I go and watch some more TV. I smoke my cigarette and I do whatever I need to do. And by this time, you know, it's it's getting to be about bedtime. So I returned to my room and I, I found Pete and Pete's reading that for a while. And Pete always drifted in and out, you know, because he was always on so many painkillers and he kind of wandered, drifted in and out. But I put my sweatpants on and I looked down in this little, you know, mini luggage thing, this gym bag, really, that my wife had left left for me. And it had probably a thousand years worth of magazines in it. So I started reading a magazine and looking at the snow and thought, you know, this is not really a bad life. You know, if I didn't have to work and didn't have to do anything else, I mean, it's not really a bad place to be, except, you know, you're in the psych ward. Nobody really wants to be in the psych ward. But but before I knew it, I, I was asleep. I was asleep and I woke up and it was six o'clock in the morning. The night had passed. No major incidents. You know, I behaved myself. I didn't get in any trouble. So I knew my doctor was going to be coming for me. So I walk out, you know, when you're a smoker, you know, the first thing you do when you get up in the morning, you smoke yourself a cigarette. So I grab a cigarette and ask, go, go to the nurse's station, ask for a light. And when I get there, the nurse tells me that uh, my breakfast is a bagel. She hands me a bagel, plain bagel, no butter, no cream cheese, no jelly, no nothing, just a plain bagel. Because and this was my punishment for not filling out my menu. I guess this is how they teach you a lesson if you try to be insubordinate in the psych ward. So, you know, I take the bagel and I'm like, what the hell would I want? I don't even like bagels. So I told her, keep the bagel. And I walk into the smoking lounge and I smoke my cigarette and I go down to the uh, vending machines with my little baggie of quarters. And I get myself a very unhealthy breakfast of, you know, Mountain Dew and some danishes or whatever they had in the machine and i go back down to my room and i eat my danishes and i'm you know still thinking all in all this ain't that bad now the snow had stopped um roughly about 10 o'clock that night we we got a, just an inordinate amount of snow but by this time they'd had the major arteries and everything else kind of cleaned off and you know the the snow crews so my doctor Shows up at the hospital about 7.30. Well, I don't know what time he got there, but they called me to Dr. M's office, the the uh, Indian doctor's office at about 7.30. And I walk in there, and there's my doctor, and I'm going to call him Dr. L. Now, Dr. L, he, you got to know him because he's a, he's a short Australian, very impatient man. Now, he's a great doctor, um, but... He is, he's really uh, prone to excessive cussing and berating when it comes to your lifestyle choices. 
you know, he was always on me for smoking, always telling me I was too fat, always telling me this. He was very hard on me, but he was a very good doctor. He's still my doctor to this day. So I sit down there and he, and he looks at me and he says, well, what the fuck are you talking about walking in front of a truck for? Now, I go into this lengthy ex explanation as to how that was really just hypothetical because I've been kind of challenged and tricked by the doctor to come up with a plan on the spot. Now, Dr. M countered that my plan was far too detailed to have not been given any, you know, thought before, any previous thought. There was no way that I just came up with that on the spot. And, and I told my doctor, you know, just because I'm drugged and a little depressed doesn't mean I still don't have a sharp mind. I can come up with a good plan. So my doctor, he, he decides, you know, he, he runs through a series of questions with me and goes back and forth. And I answered, I guess I answered, you know, to his satisfaction. And he just stood up and in his Australian accent said, well, that settles it. Go get your things, Chuck. Now, Dr. M, he's not pleased at all with this. He is not happy at all. Now, my doc, he starts to object and starts to go into what a sick man I am. And, you know, he is being a very, very sick man and he needs to be in this hospital. And if you take him out, you are responsible for him. And I will not be no longer be responsible for his actions. And uh, I know that's a terrible accent. I'm probably even just shouldn't even try to do it. But but anyway, my doctor just cut him off. Now, the thing about my doctor is he was on the board of directors at that hospital. So he wasn't somebody that you wanted to really trifle with. So and my doctor was one of the more well-known doctors in the city. So anyway, the doctor tells me, go get my stuff. My doctor tells me, go get my stuff. I run to the nurse's station. I grab my electric razor. I run back to my room. I get all my stuff. I say goodbye to Pete. Pete's happy that I'm leaving, you know, one one that got saved, I suppose. And uh grab my bag of quarters, throw it all in there, and get the hell out of there. You know, I'm like a scalded dog. I'm running out there as quickly as possible, except I still don't have a coat. It's frigid as hell out. But Dr. M tells said, you know, makes me sign a thing saying I'm leaving against medical advice, which will come back to haunt me later on because my insurance refused to pay for that night in the hospital. But anyway. My doctor on the way out, we're walking down the hallway and he says, you know, I just want you to understand something. If you go home and do something crazy, I'm going to be so fucked. They're not going to be able to even find me, which I really don't know what that meant. But he said, do you understand that? And I said, you know, I, I, I assure you, I'm not going to do anything crazy. He asked me a question. I cannot help it that I had come up with a, such a good plan on such a short notice. Well, he, he he just said, you know, just know that if you do that, you're not just ruining me and your kids and your, you're not just ruining your kids and your family and everybody else. You're ruining me, too, my whole life and my kids and my family and everybody else. So I said, all right, well, we get down into the parking lot. And the final twist of the story is I he walks me over to a red Toyota Corolla, which has to be five or six years old. And I just look at him and I was like, Jesus Christ, Dr. Look, I expected, I expect my doctor to have a better car than I do. And he just looked at me because he always has a scowl on his face. And he said, well, you know, you can always fucking walk home. So I said, no, I just, you know, just, just comment. And he had not been there long. So thankfully the car was still warm because again, I didn't have a coat. So I got into the car and uh, he did explain to me that he did in fact have a Jaguar and because of the weather conditions, he decided to take his daughter's car to work that day and was stopping by 
as he had promised to see me that morning, and I was grateful for my ride home in my Corolla, and that is really the end of the story, except for the fact that every time, every single time that I have a problem, my wife likes to remind me when we have an argument and I say, woman, look here, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. She says, I'm not the one who spent the night in a psych ward. You are. So that is my story. I can only tell you, be careful what you say to psychiatrists. They can lock your ass up. They can make your life miserable. But if you have to spend some time in the psych ward, take lots of quarters with you because you, you're going to need them. You're going to need them. They don't let you smoke in there anymore. But uh, if you have to go to the psych ward, there's no shame in it. It's just frustrating to be there when you don't feel like you need to be there. But looking back on it, I think I'd take a week or two there. It, it, it was a pretty easy time. They don't make you do anything. You get to watch all the TV, eat some junk food. They feed you. So it's kind of like a mini vacation. But anyway, that is my story. I thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Right, folks. So you've listened to part two of this amazing podcast. Now... My first, obviously, take on on the first part, don't obviously tell your psychiatrist about killing yourself or wanting to kill yourself or hatching this most fantastic original four-tier plan of doing it uh, because it could end you up in some major issues. Also, what I've picked out that that I find highly enjoyable is it's well worth having a ruck over uh, Mountain Dew. Now... I'm partial to a Mountain Dew. It's not as big in the UK as it is in America, uh, but I can understand where he's coming from. It's well worth a punch-up with a security guard over a Mountain Dew. Definitely so. Um, Also, what I've picked out is, obviously, if you do get sectioned at any point, make sure your partner, relatives and that, make sure that they give you a couple of pound coins in a bag and that, just to make sure you can go to the vendings. Um... Obviously, another thing that I've picked out is make sure that your friends on the director uh, board uh, of doctors for that particular hospital, else you'll, you'll bang out of luck and you'll probably rot in there for the next couple of years. Um, once again, thanks for this particular podcast. It, it, it is a spectacular one. Uh, the voice was so soothing. It was highly entertaining, but I could honestly just drop my eyes and listen to that voice all day. Uh, secondary disclaimer, it definitely wasn't Morgan Freeman. In fact, the gentleman looks the polar opposite of Morgan Freeman, if you get my meaning. Thanks for listening to another episode of Squirm. I really do appreciate everyone listening in to us. And have a good week, and always keep smiling. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.